For at one time, you were darkness. But now, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We had started off the week's hike with some azure skies and exhilarating sunshine. A temperate rainforest soaking in the sun is a wonder to behold. Three days of glorious weather as we meandered up the north fork of the Quinault River Valley. All right, we got lackadaisical and we stayed up late under the, late under the stars talking. It was a great hike so far, but my favorite part was that Becky was along and all three of our kids, along with a plethora of others, Dr. Rachel had invited. She's the ultimate lost puppy dog person. (laughs) Paul and Aaron slept in a tent with the other guys. Becky and our good friend Dr. Rachel were with the other girls, but Rochelle and I did our favorite thing and set up hammocks under some huge fir trees that grew close together. The stars were twinkling in their lofty dome long before we made our way each to their sleeping station. Rochelle and I, we couldn't see the stars through the massive canopy of branches above us. We talked for a couple more hours before we drifted off to this comfortable sleep. It seemed like I had just begun to slumber when I heard Rochelle say, Hey, Dad, what's that? What's what? That noise. I was half awake, and things do sound different in the woods, so it took me a while before I responded, I think it's raining. Well, it is a rainforest. (laughs) We were under those towering firs, and no rain had penetrated that great natural umbrella. Everybody else, not so much so. Uh, I walked to the edge of our little haven, and truthfully, this was a deluge that Noah would have been impressed by, okay? There's a lot to this story, but suffice it to say that when I got up to check, the ladies' encampment was perfectly fixed. Their backpacks were stood up and they were covered and the tent was safely repelling the flood. Ah, but the boys, (laughs) if only they had done it right. (laughs) If only I had checked on them before retreating to my hammock. If only, if only I'd have been cozily ensconced in my hammock still. (laughs) I almost tripped over the backpacks. They were strewn haphazardly around. Zippered compartments were wide open. And then the tent. This was a borrowed tent and the guarantee of usability did not, shall we say, match the reality. (laughs) Uh, It only had one door and the boys had left the bottom unzipped so the driving rain was being funneled directly into the tent. Add to that the fact that the rainfly was nowhere to be seen and you get a picture of what was happening. Even then I was surprised to find standing water inside the tent. These were all teenage boys, so soaking wet though they were, they hadn't woken up yet. (laughs) It took close to an hour to get them as well situated as possible, but with saturated sleeping bags, they had a miserable night. In the morning the ladies found out what had happened and With the rain looking like it might last 40 days and 40 nights, (laughs) we realized there was no way their sleeping bags were going to dry out. We had to go back to civilization where we might find a dryer. (laughs) It would take two days of walking, but we had to give up Good Creek, our hike's goal. 
again, much more to that story, but you just ask and I'll tell you, you may need sleep. But it boils down to this. The ladies decided they didn't want to spend another night in the rainforest. What? You do realize it took two days to get here. We will have to walk most of the night. Do you understand? Dr. Rachel and my Becky are two of the most determined women on the face of the earth. And when they decide something, there's no point in trying to change their minds. You might as well try to stop the tide from flowing in or the rain from falling in a rainforest. (laughs) But out of this came one of the most amazing sights I have ever seen in my life. Fortunately, the rain let up, but the sun also set. Each person pulled out a flashlight and we continued walking. It must have been four hours later as the forest opened up a bit that I saw it. You see, we were constantly going up and down and around little hills and I stayed in the back to make sure we don't lose anybody as we're walking along, right? As I came up a little knoll in the dark night, I looked up and there they were. I don't don't know how to make this clear. This vision ranks up there nearly as high as seeing our kids when they were first born. It seemed beyond earthly as it moved before me and stopped me in my tracks. It was pitch black in the midst of the thick forest on that cloudy night. But ahead of me on the trail, there were little pools of light weaving their way up and down and all around. There was nothing, lifelessness, absolute darkness everywhere else, but here and there and there and there. It was as if life moved with each of those little pools of light that weaved through the darkness. Nothingness before they came, nothingness after they left. Death reigned everywhere else. And that same empty, lifeless patch in the forest came alive again and again each time a light passed over it. I couldn't see the people, Becky, Rachel, and the kids. Only the light they shone on their little part of the world, one after another. Then a new thought came over me. I didn't want to pass over this forest because when my little pool of light went by, there would be nothingness, lifelessness, dead darkness behind me with no hope. There was no light coming after me. Nobody was behind me. At one time, you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We were darkness. Now we are light. Pools of light in a dark world. Flashlights are one thing, but how do we shine spiritual light into the world? Well, we better go back to the beginning of this section, which is a transition from the last section. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. To shine as lights in the world, we need to imitate God. In specific, to walk 
in love, which is to give ourselves up in sacrifice to God. Paul will shortly say at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. If we are children of God, then we will bring little pools of life into the darkness of the world around us. That which grows out of us will be good, right, and true. Well, when we get it right. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't always get it right. Can I get an amen? Thank you for being honest. <laughs> we are to be like pools of light in a dark world and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How do we shine as pools of light to please our Father? Paul had just written, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Instead, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Have you ever heard the expression, it's easier to get forgiveness than permission? <laughs> I wonder, do we take advantage of our Lord? Like little children, greedy for their desires. They don't trust that what their parents want for them is better than what they want for themselves. They don't even care enough to think about their parents' feelings. Because they know in the end their parents will still love them. I mean, come on. Have we grown up enough to trust God? Are we mature enough to care? Then, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. This is how we show we care. This is how we make little pools of light in the night. Paul has already called the desires of those in the dark deceitful. Now he points out that they do not produce fruit. They do not satisfy. We know why people who don't believe pursue useless desires, but why would we participate in behavior that is useless? Well, maybe because we are immature in our faith, we don't completely trust God. We still think our desires are better than God's desires for us. We don't care enough yet to think about grieving Him when we should seek to please Him. He's going to forgive us anyway, right? But what are the unfruitful works of darkness that we're not supposed to do? Paul describes the big three sins. Sexual immorality, greed, inappropriate language. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. This is all about personal sins. Not corporate group sins, our church, our town, our country. Not that. Personal sins. This is about what we, as individuals, were bent towards. <laughs> we're bent towards doing when we lived in the lifeless darkness. Sexual sins, greed, language sins. Let's look at them individually. Sexual immorality, the number one sin then? Uh, the same now. 
Sexuality is grossly out of control in our country. I mean, is there anybody who wants to disagree? But it should not be among Christians. When they exist in the dark, men boost their egos as they conquer women physically using relationships to get sex. While women conquer men emotionally using sex to get relationship often. <laughs> Let's consider one aspect of this sin, pornography. You have heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sexual immorality and all impurity must not even be named among you. The pornography of males tends to center on the visual. Never in the history of mankind has visual titillation been more readily available than since greedy people have abused the internet. Men, will we look or will we turn away? It has often been said that pornography for women centers on stories. Think romance novels and tear-jerking movies. <laughs> and I doubt there's a woman in America who will deny that it's a lot easier to get a relational fix artificially than it is with a real flesh-and-blood husband. <laughs> Let's face it, husbands are a lot of work. <laughs> or maybe in the excitement of an illicit relationship. Let's all consider this paragraph from the NIV Application Commentary on Ephesians. But society also sends contradictory messages that reveal condemnation of such activity even while it is being embraced. We keep this material from children. But why, if it is so harmless? We fall for sexual titillation but become indignant at any hint of sexual harassment. We accept the lack of sexual restraints but the press crucifies politicians guilty of illicit sexual activity. The entertainment industry leads both the promotion of sexual promiscuity and, is it out of guilt? The battle against AIDS. Once again, sin is shown to be the failure to do what we know. What we know, I might add, is right to do. Everybody, saint and sinner alike, really knows when we're doing wrong. We do. But for us, we must do what is good, right, and true. We must be light in a dark world. And what's the first step in that? Let there be thanksgiving. That's the first step. Yes, stopping, decrying, and avoiding the perversions of our former life is critical. But mostly we need to be thankful to God for what He has given us. Thankful, in this case, that He has given us morality and purity in the area of sexuality. It's the first step in living as children of light. Can we be thankful for that possibility in each and every one of us? Let's go on to examine Scripture's next point. Greed, or as Paul says, covetousness. Covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Covetousness is any consuming passion for that which we don't have. 
Greed usually focuses on money issues, gambling, embezzlement. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. To quote Dr. Snodgrass again, the only goals most people know are pleasures and possessions. And for many, that means life goes out of control. Even Christians can see their lives spiral out of control if they don't seek to be light. But we are to do what is good and right and true, to be light in this dark world. And note Paul's reference to proper behavior, as is proper among saints. Can saints act improperly? (laughs) You know it. (laughs) But even non-believers know Christians should be different. Christians aren't supposed to act that way. Usually when they say something like that, they're trying to get away with something. But the fact is, everybody knows Christians should be different. Are we? Are you? But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Foul language. It sometimes seems Christians want to ride as close to the edge of the cliff as they can without actually falling off. (laughs) And they often do this with language. Thirty years ago, when I was managing a small photography store, a man came walking in with a cane. It was absolutely clear that he had suffered a stroke. One side of his body was not responding very well as he hobbled up to the counter. He started to speak with our sales clerk, clearly enjoying the conversation, when suddenly a foul word slipped out. He covered his mouth. Tears came to his eyes. And he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I never speak like that. He explained to her that the stroke had damaged the part of his brain that controls language. I'm so sorry to say that in front of you. I was right close by, and and I wanted somehow to ease his mind, so I said, I'm afraid she's heard worse than that. Pay attention to what he said. Not from me, she hasn't. Wow. I'd always tried to avoid profane language, but from that very day, I can see that man as clear as a bell in my mind, 30 years later. I've been a lot more careful in what I say because of him. In the pain of his physical limitation, that man got it. Do we understand how damaging a loose tongue can be? If we use language outside the church that we wouldn't inside, we are probably sinning. How do we speak with our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our spouses, our kids? Do we delight to tell dirty jokes? Humor can be used in good or evil ways? Do we like to use common words to create sexual innuendo? Language is distorted so that words like sophisticated, mature, or gentleman are used to describe sexual perversion, deviancy, and pornography. This use of language is out of place for us. We need to be light in a world crushed by darkness. 
Which means we must not speak in this evil way, but instead speak good, right, and true words. And again, the solution. How about we speak words of thanksgiving? Let us have an attitude of gratitude to our Lord who gave us the ability to communicate. Let us communicate light. Let us be communicating gratefulness. We never did get to go where I wanted to go on our hike, Good Creek. In fact, I've still never made it there. Still plan to. <laughs> Found a whole new route that should make it possible to go there in a day less time. I'll take a little break and tell you there are no trails into Good Creek, into the valley. There never has been. And it's huge. It's bigger than the Enchanted Valley. Of course, it won't have all those waterfalls, but somehow i got to get there someday. Well, back to the hike we were on. Life changes, and our new destination was the car <laughs> and a, a way to get to a warm place, you know. Paul has emphasized the difference between those who are light and those who are darkness. Now he reminds them of the eventual destination of each. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Those who refuse the gift of Jesus do so because they like the dark. They don't want to leave. They prefer the temporary titillation of their own deceitful and unfruitful desires. Their lust is more appealing to them than heaven. They would rather pursue their desires than to gain heaven. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. People who are pursuing their own desires will try to tell us there is no hell, that it makes no difference what we do. But the wrath of God awaits those who reject the light. It, it is critically important to recognize this hard truth. If we don't, why would we care what they do? Why would we care what we do? Note that they are sons of disobedience. Sons of is often used in Scripture to mean those who are like, want to be like, seem to be like something. They are sons of disobedience. While we are children of light. Imitators of God as beloved children. The Holy Spirit resides in us. We can do good, live right, and speak truth. Whereas they can only pursue the darkness of their desires. How do we deal with these sons of disobedience? Therefore, do not become partners with them. We are trying to show them the light, but we must not partner with them. This word partners we've run into already in this letter, well, a word from the same root, partakers. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We should not be partners with, partakers in the things of those of darkness. There are some who will never come to the light. We should not be their partners. 
Darkness is separation from the light. We're talking spiritual death here. We are light. They are darkness. We will live forever with God. They, some of them, will die forever without God's grace. We must not partner with them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But let's go back one step. Paul said at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then he goes even further in verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose them? It is not enough to not participate, not partner in their evil deeds. We must expose the evil nature of their sins which we do by simply being light, by not doing the things they do. In case this escaped you somehow, maybe I should say it out straight, they really don't like this. (laughs) They don't. Paul said, anyone who covets is an idolater. An idol is anything that is placed in priority over God. People get angry when their idols get attacked. So why would we want to expose their sins? Because they might come to the light. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are in the light. In fact, we are light. When we do good, live right and speak the truth, even though it is painful for them to hear, we show them the light. And maybe, just maybe, they'll step into the light. But what happens if we stop walking like we're in the light? What if we partner with them in darkness? How are those in the dark going to see the light? Our goal on our hike was to get to Goodkin Creek and see what maybe no other human had ever seen, certainly few. Well, that got dumped and now we were just trying to make it back to the car. (laughs) As soon as we had decided to go back, our oldest son, Paul, asked if he and some of the older boys couldn't hot-foot it down to the car so they could be warm that night. This was before the ladies had decided to keep going without stopping that evening. Couldn't blame Paul. The tent they had would not keep them warm and dry if it rained again that night. Aaron stayed to help us with the younger ones. Anyway, they'd gone on ahead, so there were only about eight of us left. I can't begin to tell you all the amazing things that happened in that hike. But the end result was that we did, in fact, get back to the trailhead. I think it was just before one in the morning. And no vehicle. None. Nada. No vehicle. We found out later that Paul and the boys realized they could drive into town and dry their sleeping bags at the laundromat. But at that moment, we didn't know where they were or when they'd come back. They didn't expect us until the end of the next day. The end of the next day. Okay? Oh yeah, and did I tell you, we'd left all our tents, our sleeping bags, and anything else we didn't need in a pile off the side of the trail miles back so that we could move faster. We figured we'd go back and get it on a nice weekend coming up. So now we're standing at the end of the trail with the temperature dropping 
no way to keep ourselves warm, almost no food to eat, the batteries are dying in most of the flashlights, there's no transportation, and we're 25 miles from the closest phone. Not like there's cell reception up there. Do you ever feel like, like life is like that? You ever, <laughs> you know, you poured your heart out trying to walk as a child of light, to show what is good and right and true, trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, to do what is proper among saints, to give thanks. You know where you're headed, you know where they're headed, and you care enough to challenge them. Maybe they'll step into the light, and you find yourself feeling you're, you're dead in the water, out of energy, no place to go. No way to get anywhere. Cold. With no place to rest. May I suggest that you do what we did in the middle of that dark night. Appeal to the Father of Lights. Okay? (laughs) Pray. We've been walking for close to 15 hours continuously. 15 hours of walking. So there wasn't a lot of energy. There's no real clear thinking going on. There's nothing left in us. Somehow, one of the kids noticed just a little off the trail an old, dilapidated building. The doors were off the hinges. The windows were covered with plywood. I made them wait until I could make sure the dumb thing wouldn't collapse on us. We got in there and he made it as airtight as possible. The kids were huddled up under emergency blankets. Dr. Rachel collapsed on the floor, actually. She was shivering in her own silvery shroud. Have you seen an emergency blanket? They look like tinfoil. They're amazing how they keep going. Anyway, well, I fired up the camp stove, camp stove until it was glowing red, but I knew there wasn't much fuel left. Actually, I was surprised at how long it did last, nearly a half an hour. The room was lit by the flame and got almost toasty warm before the distinctive hiss suddenly stopped and we were plunged once more into darkness. Wasn't terribly long before it began to grow cold. Okay, Father, you helped us out once. Please, I'm too tired. I'm too worn out. I can't protect him anymore, God. You're going to have to come through. It was almost at that very moment when headlights came flashing up the road. Headlights at probably two in the morning in the middle of nowhere at the end of the road. I decided I'd better go find out who it was and see if there was any way we could get some help. I can't describe to you my joy when I realized it was Paul and the boys (laughs) in our car. They had been nice and warm in the tiny laundromat, which turned out to be one of those self-serve, open 24-hour-a-day kind. When they decided they would come back up and wait until the first light so they could quickly hike up and help us carry everything back out. Wow. Well, now we stuffed ourselves all into that one van, cranked up the heater, (laughs) and drove out. (laughs) We had all been little pools of light as we walked down that trail. And we felt lonely and a little afraid as we trudged along in the night. And when it looked darkest, the Father sent us some other lights to encourage us. Lights in the form of teenage boys. Sometimes it's hard to walk as children of light, but we need to know that we'll never be alone. God will always be there.
maybe in the form of a teenage son, maybe touching our hearts directly. At one time we were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Now we walk as children of light. Let's pray.